This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America, brought to you through the cooperation of the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, and Link TV. And now, here's host Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week, presidential elections in Guatemala and Argentina will have a preview of the candidates and the issues. But first, Natalie Ottinger is here with our weekly review of news from around Latin America. The governor of Puerto Rico warned the U.S. Congress this week that the island territory is nearing the breaking point in its fiscal crisis. Governor Alejandro Garcia Padilla told a Senate committee his government will likely run out of money by the end of the year. Police and fire protection, health care and social services are all in jeopardy. Puerto Rico is running out of cash and will soon exhaust the emergency measures we are using to keep the government operating. When faced with the prospect of either making payments on debt obligation or paying for essential services, Puerto Rico will have no choice but to default. Also, this week, Puerto Rico's negotiators abruptly broke off talks with its debtors over restructuring the debt. Garcia Padilla has asked creditors for a two-year moratorium on payments while the U.S. territory in the Caribbean improves its financial situation. The Obama administration this week also proposed a plan to allow the island to restructure its debts in the same way that U.S. states do. However, the U.S. Congress so far has not favored such a plan. The president of Venezuela complained this week that the price of oil is being artificially suppressed, and he took his complaints to a meeting of the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, the group known as OPEC. President Nicolas Maduro says the price of oil should more equitably be about double what it sells for now on world markets. Currently, oil is selling for about $45 per barrel, and Maduro wants OPEC to adjust its strategy so prices are set near $88 per barrel. Venezuela has the world's largest oil reserves, and its economy has suffered due to plunging oil prices. Maduro said his country's enemies have conspired to deflate oil prices. The leaders of the Venezuelan opposition say government mismanagement is the real cause behind the country's economic problems. You might think scientists had discovered all there was to find on the Galapagos Islands. Scientists have been making great discoveries there since the islands inspired the research of Charles Darwin more than 180 years ago. Scientists at Yale University say they've discovered a new species of giant tortoise on the islands, a species called the Eastern Santa Cruz tortoise. Actually, scientists have known for quite some time the tortoises were there, but had trouble distinguishing them from other giant tortoises that live on the islands. This new species is the 15th species of giant tortoise on the islands, although four of those other groups have gone extinct. There are only 250 tortoises that meet this new description, so they are already considered a threatened group. These tortoises can only be found on the Galapagos, a group of islands owned by Ecuador. For Latin Pulse, I'm Natalie Ottinger. Thanks, Natalie. 
Our shout out this week goes to our listeners in Mexico City. Our Mexican listeners in DFA are our third largest group all time behind our listening groups in Washington, D.C. and Silicon Valley, California. So we say mil gracias to all of our listeners in Mexico City and elsewhere around the globe. And now we turn our attention to the presidential elections in Guatemala, where it's a race between the comedian and the first lady. The comedian is Jimmy Morales, a political newcomer who posted a surprising first place finish in the first round last month, but didn't get enough votes to win in that round. Currently, Morales is supported by 59% of voters in recent polls and has a 30-point lead on his challenger. That challenger is former First Lady Sandra Torres. She was First Lady during the presidency of her ex-husband, Alvaro Colom, who left office in 2012. These elections are taking place against the backdrop of the end of the presidency of Otto Perez Molina, a former general who's now in jail facing corruption charges. We asked Eric Olson of the Latin America program of the Woodrow Wilson Center to help us understand the race and Guatemalan politics. He joined us via Skype from Washington, D.C. It's really unusual the context in which these elections take place. Uh, just days before the first round of the elections, the sitting president uh, resigned and has now been detained, is being held in a, in a detention facility on a military base pending trial for corruption. So that threw a pail over the whole process. His political party had already begun to implode, but it certainly fell apart at that point, and it opened the door for a couple other candidates. One is a bit unusual in that he's not a career politician. In fact, he's a career clown, uh, being a comedian and dressing up in clown outfits and doing comedic sketches. So he was the anti-politician, and he seemed to come to the top quite quickly as people were disgusted by the corruption in the political system. There was another candidate who was expected to do very well, but did not and fell out of favor too, a man by the name of Baltizon. He, uh, you know, is a longtime politician, had his own political party, and is widely viewed, rightly or wrongly, but widely viewed as a corrupt uh, uh, politician. And, and that left the door open for another candidate who had been third in the polls, but she emerged as the second uh, candidate, Sandra Torres, former first lady, married to former President Alvaro Colon. Um, she divorced him four years ago so that, so that she could uh, run for president. Then the law says you can't run as a, um, a family member of a former president. So the courts at that time ruled that was insufficient uh, four years ago, so she didn't run. But she's run now. And she's come out in second place. And so the final round on the 25th is between uh, 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 Jimmy Morales, the former comedian clown, and Sandra Torres, the former first lady. Some might argue that that's not a great choice. Uh, um, first lady with limited political experience and, and a comedian with no political experience is what Guatemalans have to choose. And many polls have said that that Guatemalans are actually upset with the choices that, that they are presented with on this election day. I think that's right. I think people really, at, at, at one point, were proud of what they had accomplished through public marches and demanding that the 
uh, president and his cabinet essentially resigned, um, demanding accountability for a massive corruption scandal. So there was a lot of hope that uh, Guatemala may have turned a corner, Guatemala may be moving on into uh, this new era where corruption wouldn't be such a problem. But the choices that they've been left with are, as you say, you know, very complicated ones. One that uh, Jimmy Morales with no experience, I mean, that's been his calling card. I'm not a corrupt politician. I've never been a politician. But there's some real questions about who is backing him, where his support comes from. His number one donor, according to reports on cam uh, about campaign finance, is a former military officer, and there's a he's really running under the banner of a small kind of unknown political party made up of former Guatemalan mil military officials, some of which have some really uh, bad human rights records. So there's some real fear that that he's not going to, in the end, represent an advance for Guatemala. Sandra Torres also uh, has her own baggage. Uh, she was, as first lady, in charge of the social ministries and did do a number of uh, kind of social welfare programs, especially in the rural sector, and she has a high approval rating there, and her base support is in the, in the countryside, in the highlands, uh, where it, Mayan indigenous people predominate. But, you know, uh, there's questions about whether that she used those programs for political benefit, um, and it's not clear, you know, how much of a governing vision she has as well. So there's a lot of questions, but undoubtedly, you know, one of them is going to emerge as the likely, as the next president in the second round, and, and we'll, though Guatemalans will have to figure out what to do next. You've framed some of these issues of, of criticism of both of these candidates, and, and since the last one you spoke about was with Sandra Torres. Let's let's start with her. In that the issue with her is that some Guatemalan commentators have come out and and boldly say that she is actually running for president so that she can gain some sort of limited immunity to these anti-corruption um, investigations that are going on that are launched by this UN agency that Guatemala has allowed to come in and and help them with the justice system and, and help them uncover these issues of corruption. And so um, we, we have a former first lady that some are accusing of, of having links to uh, other corrupt politicians who, who, who may be propelled to, to find some immunity in the presidency. Do you, do you put any stock in that? When she was, uh, the first lady was, as I say, you know, eight years ago to four years ago, so there's been some time and there's been an opportunity to investigate. I, I, I don't have any information one way or the other whether she's guilty of corruption or not. Um, and, and certainly she should uh, face that kind of investigation if she is. Uh, so I, I don't know that that's necessarily her sole motive or, or the primary motive. Um, but... I think the important thing which you raise is what this UN body does. They prove themselves to be capable of carrying out investigations into the president himself. And so, you know, let's just say for the sake of argument, and I'm not saying that I, I believe this, but let's say Sandra's Torres's goal here is to gain immunity to cover up her past 
uh, improprieties or corruption. Uh, we still have the possibility that CC, this UN body, can investigate her and with evidence force the removal of that uh, immunity. Uh, that's what happened in the case of Perez Molina, the sitting former president. His immunity was stripped based on information presented by the UN and the Attorney General. That same thing could happen to Sandra Torres. So I don't know that it's a guarantee if, in fact, there is that kind of corruption in the back uh, in her past. I think the key here is that the CC can continue to do that sort of investigation and that the Attorney General's office can continue to support and prosecute these cases because CC cannot prosecute. It's up to the Attorney General, and that's the important part. And we've seen a big change in, in how Attorney Generals, the last two Attorney Generals, have been much more active in Guatemala than, than what we've seen previously. You, you mentioned that Jimmy Morales, the front-runner, uh, the comedian, is he is the leader of the National Convergence Front, um, a, a party that, that didn't really exist until 2008. And as you mentioned, there are a lot of ties to former military officers in Guatemala. Uh, for those who don't track Guatemala, Guatemala's history of, of having um, corrupt military officers and military officers linked to human rights abuses, this raises all the connections that Jimmy Morales really isn't a change, that, that he might be just as much a part of Guatemala's past as, as any other candidate. That's true. I mean, it does raise that specter. Uh, the the um, number of Guatemala's organized crime networks uh, really emerged out of the military uh, as the peace process went forward and this peace was signed. You know, the military was downsized considerably. Uh, and some of those criminal organizations that had developed within the military suddenly were, were on the outside and continued to function in that regard. Um, and in fact, if you look back at some of the reports by people like Adriana Beltran at Wola, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, they actually talk about Perez Molina at the time, an active duty military officer who, against whom there were serious allegations of, of corruption. So in some ways, what happened to him in the presidency shouldn't be a surprise. What was the surprise is that somebody actually could investigate and find him accountable. There's a lot of questions about the role of the military and past and former military in organized crime in Guatemala. And I think his emergence with that backing is, is what's troubling to so many people. Where does the protest movement go from here? Do they just stay vigilant and see what happens with the election and see if any investigations turn up uh, problems with either one of these candidates? What do you see them doing? I think that's a very good question because, as we know, uh, even from our experience here in the United States, these sort of unorganized, spontaneous public manifestations are definitely, it's, it's really a challenge to keep them focused over a long haul. Their immediate demands were for accountability for the president, that he would resign, uh, and so on. Those things have been met. So uh, it's kind of hard to maintain then the momentum after that, and that's what many people are worried about. I think for some people in opposition, the, the debate has really shifted away from, you know, should we vote for this candidate or that candidate? As we said, um, you know, there's concern that neither of them are a great option. And both of them have baggage 
and reasons to be concerned about. But I think the momentum has shifted among some in the opposition towards deeper reforms. Clearly, there needs to be reform of the campaign finance system in Guatemala. There needs to be reform of Congress, uh, where congressmen, uh, you know, rep congressional representatives uh, can change parties in a heartbeat, in a blink of an eye, and create new coalitions that don't represent the the original intent of, uh, you know, their candidacy. Uh, so there's, you know, a real drive in the opposition to reform elections, the political process, the state itself. And they, they hope that's the real long-term outcome here, um, not whether, you know, the, the next president is really going to be a champion of these issues. Thank you so much, Eric Olson, the Associate Director of the Latin America Program at the Woodrow Wilson Center, joining us via Skype from Washington, D.C. Thanks for being our guest on Latin Pulse. My pleasure as always, Rick. Thank you. Coming up from politics in Guatemala, we shift to the presidential race in Argentina. We'll have a preview. Stay with us. This is Tom Scared for the Borgen Project. Each year, nearly two million children die from preventable diseases. Each day, 30,000 people die from hunger. 500 each hour are children. The Borgen Project is turning this around. We need your help. To learn more, go to borgenproject.org. That's B-O-R-G-E-N project.org. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. This weekend, voters in Argentina will also be making choices in that country for who will be the next president. The latest polls have Daniel Scioli of the Front for Victory Alliance as the front runner. He's the hand-picked successor of current President Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner and represents the main Peronist political faction. Conservative Mauricio Macri, the mayor of Buenos Aires, is in second place in the polls. And Sergio Massa of the United for a New Alternative Alliance is a strong third. To win, a candidate must take 40% of the vote, and polls have Scioli at only 34%. We asked Peter Hakem to analyze the election for us. Hakem is with the Inter-American Dialogue, and he joined us via Skype from Washington, D.C. Well, well, let me first start out, but it very well might be decided this weekend. Uh, it's something on a knife edge. Uh, several people that follow this very closely think that with the undecided vote coming in, uh, that uh, Scioli, the candidate of uh, the governing uh, Peronist Party, the Kirshnerista candidate, if you like, uh, could win a first round. And uh, if as expected, uh, he doesn't win the first round, Scioli, the governor of uh, uh, of uh, Buenos Aires, the state of Buenos Aires, uh, he's likely to win it on the second round if Macri comes in, uh, the mayor of uh, Buenos Aires City comes in uh, second. What do I think of the three candidates? Uh, I think it's rather remarkable. What's so remarkable about this is that there's a strong element of wanting continuity among the Argentine electorate. For a country that's been through everything Argentina has been, 
an economy that is very unpredictable, very unstable at this point, being in some sense kept artificially stimulated by overspending by the government, uh, suffering a very high inflation rate, and yet uh, people are afraid of turning to any other uh, course uh, for the economy. And this, to me, is rather remarkable. There's few opportunities you would think that a uh, government would be able to sustain itself. And this is in part the legacy of Peronism and a combination of populism and nationalism. Let me say, all three candidates have promised some degree of change, some degree of economic opening, some reorientation. But the big question is, why is continuity so important at this time? We see Daniel Scioli as more or less following the course that's been marked off for him by President Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner. And I really wonder whether we're going to see if Scioli wins, whether he wins on the first round or the second round, that he'll suffer from the same problem that we see in Venezuela, where the successor to a fairly popular president is unable to sustain a particular economic model that depends on overspending. Well, let me say, I think Venezuela was in particularly deep difficulties. It was in difficulties before the price of oil plummeted from over $100 a barrel to $40 a barrel. And uh, added to that, of course, was the price uh, fall. And the difference is just uh, very great. Argentina, badly managed, yes. Uh, Erratic, yes. Somewhat unpredictable. But nothing like the absolute uh, catastrophe that seemingly awaits Venezuela. So I don't think that whoever comes into power following Christina uh, is going to anywhere near face the kind of difficulties that Maduro currently faces. Uh, Argentina has shown itself to have a set of institutions that work a lot better than in uh, Venezuela. They're a lot more stable over time, including the Peronist Party, which two of the three candidates are members of, uh, in other words. And if it was the Peronist Party had a single candidate, it it looks like he would have won overwhelmingly, or she. Not sure Christina is so popular, except that she is a very capable politician. I mean, she really knows how to make use of symbols, of sort of people's desire for change, their loyalty to the country, and she's uh, really brought all this together and showed a a real capacity for politics that's actually very rare in Latin America these days. I'd like to talk about that second Peronist candidate, Sergio Massa of the United for a New Alternative Alliance. What is he going to get from his strong third place showing in the polls, he's at 17%. That's far from the 40% that's necessary 
to win in the first round. Is he politically aligning himself for the next presidential run or for some sort of cabinet post? What, what, what is his price? Well, this shows the flexibility of Peronists, of course. He was the chief of cabinet for a while for Christina Kirshner. Uh, he then took a position independent of her, basically was seen as his her main opponent until emerged the the mayor of, uh, of Buenos Aires, uh, Mr. Macri, who sort of pulled into second place. Uh, and it's been very interesting uh, in some ways that there was some talk of the two opposition candidates uh, coming together and forming an alliance that probably could have won. Uh, but they, uh, for a variety of political reasons, decided not to do that. And one of those reasons was precisely what you're saying. This now gives uh, Massa, the candidate also of the Peronist Party, which is divided, uh, the opportunity to run next time as the official Peronist candidate. He doesn't leave Peronism as he would have to do if he supported uh, the mayor of, of Buenos Aires, Macri. So what are the issues that, that you think will help decide this? Or is it just um, the issue is a pocketbook issue of stay the course? Well, first, I, I, I don't think it's a strong issues. In other words, right now, it's surprising how little the issues seem to have played in this, in the sense that... Uh, People uh, really uh, remember the economic collapse of Argentina back in 2001, 2002. Uh, they recognized that uh, Nesta Kirchner, uh, the husband of the current president uh, at the time as well, really brought the country out of it with a period of rapid growth due in part to the high price of commodities and also uh, refusing to pay more than about one-third of the debt that Argentina owed at the time. Christina, he allowed her to run for uh, uh, after him and uh, she won the election. Uh, she saw her popularity drop very uh, rapidly and quickly and then uh, he... Uh, her husband died, and she really became the Kirshner and began to be able to show her own political uh, skills or political agility. We see that the issues regarding the hedge funds, the bankruptcies, and the fights with the U.S. courts are not over. Is Daniel Scioli going to be able to resolve those in a better way than Christina Fernandez de Kirchner has? Um, are we going to continue to see this fight between Argentina and the international monetary system? Let, let, let me say that I don't think Christina Kirchner had any interest in resolving these. Uh, but Christina Kirchner had an interest in either showing that she would completely be triumphant over the hedge funds or continue to use them as poor Argentina fighting against these very rich U.S.-based uh, banking entities and uh, financial entities. 
And so uh, the next, uh, I think, Scioli is very much aware that Argentina is sort of in serious difficulties economically, knows investment from outside is desperately needed, that the sources of investment for Argentina up to now over the past years have been very slim. They've depended on Venezuela, they've depended on China, but very little investment from Europe or the United States. Thank you so much, Peter Hakem of the Inter-American Dialogue, our guest today on Latin Pulse, joining us via Skype from Washington, D.C. Thank you, Peter. Okay, thank you. Thanks for joining us on Latin Pulse this week for our focus on presidential elections. If you'd like to send us your suggestions or comments, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. If you're looking for earlier editions of Latin Pulse, we're available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and Flipboard. You can also find us in the Brazilian online game, Mini Mundos. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, dot org, and then slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org slash Latin Pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For our entire team, associate producer Natalie Allinger and technical director Jim Singer, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escuchen nosotros vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced at the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university, headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, with music copyright support through Webster University and Link TV. This program is copyright 2015 Las Rocas Productions. Las Rocas Productions.